Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the beautiful day you've blessed us with and the awesome opportunity to be able to come into your house. Help us now as we get into your word to understand it and apply it in the right way and draw close to you, build our faith and trust in you and in your word. Thank you again as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series and book of Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, we can pick it back up here in, in chapter 10. As it reads, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's beginning a little bit of a history lesson here for them, reminding them of the events that took place in the Exodus, reminding them of what those folks had went through and the lessons that they learned that we can learn from. What's that old saying? Uh, experience is the best teacher, especially when you can learn from someone else's experience. And as he continues, And we're all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. If you remember, the cloud that would guide and protect the children of Israel as they traveled during the day, and then it became a pillar of fire by night, and then the sea being the the Red Sea that the Lord guided them through on dry land. This continues, And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Some of the judgments that come upon them during that 40 years of having to wander in the wilderness is now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them for in samples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. All the things that are recorded in the Word of God, all the experiences, all the history, we can learn from that when we go back and study that. And that's what he's reminded them there, that we can learn from the experiences of others in the past. Verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That one verse right there could really stand very prominent in this because of the advice. The advice to all of us that if we think that we got it so perfect, so right, that we are so righteous and so strong that we can endure and stand up against anything, then that sometimes is the very time that you're going to fall. Just as many of the children of Israel wound up falling. They thought they had their life all figured out, all taken care of, and they were just fine like they were. 
And then he found out that um, it was about to be a big fall for many of them. Verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Those temptations to sin, those temptations to waver, are all out there. They are there. They come upon us. But there's nothing that is any different than somebody else. You don't have a special temptation given to you that nobody else has had to overcome or deal with. And as he says there, those temptations that we face daily, the Lord can see us through it. We trust in Him. We lean on Him. He gives us a way of escape. The way of escape is to totally trust in Jesus Christ. Let Him fight those battles for us. That indwelling Spirit of the Holy Ghost that can strengthen us and give us the ability to overcome those temptations. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, idolatry here can be a wide spectrum of things. Because if you lift anything up more important than God, that becomes an idol to you. Anything from your career to yourself, your family, an activity, whatever it might be. If it becomes more important to you to participate in that or pay attention to that or devote yourself to that than it is to devote yourself to the Lord, then that has become an idol to you. It doesn't have to be just some carved image that you sit down and pray to or, or burn sacrifices to. That's a form of idolatry also, of course. But it extends to anything and everything that is in the world in existence. If you lift that up more than the Lord, more importance to you than the Lord, then that becomes an idol to you. It says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak... As to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, now he's talking about communion here, taking a communion process there, the ritual of the, the cup and the, and the bread. Reads, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Because when you take communion, the... The juice, the grape juice, is representational of the blood of Jesus Christ, and the unleavened bread is representational of the body of Christ. We take that in just like we take in Jesus Christ. For we, being many, are one bread, the one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. 
Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? There again, this refers to the literal participation in idolatry, sacrifices to pagan gods, and participating in those rituals and ceremoniously eating of that sacrificed animal, as well as over into your spiritual walk, anything that you have dedicated or devoted and lifted up in honor to anything other than the Lord can become an idol to you. Because all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Talking about how we not be condemned to eternity in hell, we will not lose our salvation based on our actions after we are a born-again Christian. Paul here is referring to he could do anything and it's not going to result in him being cast out of the family of God, but it's going to hurt him because he says there, it's not for the edify, but all things edify not. It's not going to benefit him. If he does something that he knows is against the will of the Lord, it's going to hurt his testimony. It's going to hurt the blessings. It's going to destroy the rewards. It's going to damage his relationship with the Lord. But it's not going to cast him out. In that sense is what he's talking about, lawful. Because when we become born again Christian, we're sealed by the Holy Ghost. We're adopted into the family. That can never be lost. But you can sure mess up that relationship. You can sure destroy your blessings, your rewards, your testimony, and hurt yourself because you're going to suffer for that loss. You're going to have that loss for eternity. So we need to always keep things right. Edify means to lift up and to benefit from. So in everything, we need to make sure that it is within the will of the Lord. Whether it is going to benefit us or not, and whether it's going to benefit someone else or not, it's always a consideration as well as it gets into this next verse. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's. And you see here in italics, it says wealth. He's not just talking about financial substance here. He's talking about benefit of another individual. We need to always consider the benefit to someone else that we are willing to, as the Lord gave us the example, sacrifice ourselves and our selfishness, our own self-needs, for someone else's benefit. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat. Now he's getting into some situations that they may have found themselves in back then when there was so much of this idolatry and the sacrificing of animals. And those animals that were sacrificed were then taken and sold to be consumed. Like in a marketplace in the shambles here, he's just speaking of. In verse 25, Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast 
and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not, for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? See, goes back to the testimony. See, it was okay if, if you sit down and you eat something that's sacrificed to an idol, as long as it's not described or presented in a way that this is a sacrifice to such and such an idol, go ahead and consume it now. And then you become part of that ritual, that's wrong. But if you sat down and you ate some food that happened to be part of an animal that was sacrificed to idol, no big deal. Nobody has pointed that out. But if it's pointed out, then the witnesses around see that and see you participating in idolatry then that hurts your testimony and may hurt their journey to the Lord. Thinking, well, here this guy's talking about all this stuff about idolatry and everything, and now here he is sitting down eating of this ritualistic meal. Then that just destroyed that testimony. It's like, well, they ain't nothing. So we've got to be careful how we behave around others. So he says, for conscience sake, that's for the benefit of the others, like he spoke of earlier. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth or well-being. So we've got to be very careful in the way we act all the time, that we don't damage somebody else's journey or become an obstacle to someone else's journey to the Lord. Verse 30, for if I by grace be a partaker means actually sat down and ate something of that by grace. Why am I evil spoken of for that, for what I gave thanks? If you give thanks for something, then you have purified that. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense. There again, don't create obstacles for other people. Your behavior in public can cause an obstacle or an offense for someone else's walk with the Lord. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. There again. Living in a way that's going to bring honor and glory to the Lord in everything that you do because there are a lot of folks watching you all the time. So you've got to keep that testimony as clean as possible for their benefit as well as your own. All right, now into chapter 11. Chapter 11 addresses some interesting things that applied back then. Some people still go by it today. Ritualistic things, symbolic things such as the covering of one's head or uncovering one's head, as he gets into the first part of chapter 11. As reads, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. 
Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Putting things into perspective, because Jesus Christ spoke Adam into existence first, and then took Adam's rib and created Eve. So in that order is what he's applying things. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. It's not his own personal head, because you look back up there, who's the head of the man? It's Jesus Christ. So you dishonor Jesus Christ when you are praying or prophesying. This is talking about in a formal setting amongst others. Like preacher, for instance, who's leading the sermon in prayer, shouldn't have his hat on. Is this what he's speaking of? But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, uncovered, notice, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, her head is the man, so she would be dishonoring her man if she wasn't to wear a hat when praying or prophesying in public. This is where the the tradition of women wearing hats in church stems from this, that all the women should have to be wearing their church, their Sunday hats. That's where it comes from, from these verses right here. Not a tradition that's very widely used anymore, but this is where it comes from. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn, or shaved her head. If you're not going to wear a hat, then shave your head. We didn't see much of that go on. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Talking about creation. The man first, and then took the rib from Adam and created the woman. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man, as account in Genesis tells us. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Here he's actually pointing out that they are equal to the Lord. Equal in importance and value to the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Because we're not just Adam and Eve anymore. Everyone was born, since Adam and Eve, of a woman. Therefore, the man becomes of the woman, just like Eve was of the man. Therefore, it makes everybody equal, once again. After Adam and Eve, everybody was born after that, then became equal because 
the man was of the woman rather than the woman of the man. But the original woman was of the man. So equals it out. Man and woman equal in the eyes of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doeth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Contentious. They arguing about this or rebellious about this or not too pleased with it, says that we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So this custom of wearing long hair, some people like to have the long hair. They think it's it's, um, complimentary to them as far as men go. Now they've done gone with these silly looking man buns, they call them. Little cluster of hair up on top of their head. I don't know what in the world they come up with that, but some people think that's stylish these days to look like an old genie from the Middle East. Anyhow, as it continues, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Once again, talking about some of the contentions, some of the arguments, some of the disturbances. It goes all the way back to the customs of the wearing of the hats and of the long hair and so forth. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now he gets into another subject here. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. There was an issue going on back then where they would come into the church to be partakers in communion just to be able to eat. And that became their, their time to come together and have a meal as a group. It was all focused on having the meal rather than the importance of the communion itself. Because some people have communion feast. Not just taking of a few little crumbs or a few little wafers or a little piece of unleavened bread. We come in for the meal. But that became their goal. That was their whole desire for coming to church was to come to have a meal. Then their focus was all wrong. It wasn't to come to honor the Lord. The eating and the drinking involved in communion is a holy sacrament. It is a holy ritual to honor the Lord, the sacrifice of the Lord. It should always be done with the utmost respect and honor, not to be taken casually. It is used so often anymore and so many times in many churches that it becomes such a casual event that there's no spiritual significance to it anymore. 
It's not something that's really inspiring to others when they participate in it. It's become that trivial. And that's what he's speaking of here. It became such a trivial thing. It was just come together and get together for a meal. And that was part of the communion. So it was, it was diluted in that way. And he gets into a, an account of the communion process when the Lord performed that with the disciples. It reads, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Notice, in remembrance of me. When you do this ritual, in remembrance of him. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that sup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That was very important that those that participate in communion are prayed up and are born-again Christians, not just coming in to be a part of a ritual that looks interesting and fun to participate in, and you get a little bit of juice and, and bread in the process. It had become that way to so many there in Corneth, and I dare say to a lot of people today. But look at the results. If somebody comes to the Lord falsely, pretending to be a Christian, participating in a holy sacrament such as communion, what happens to them? For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. I mean, dead. They get judged for such hypocritical behavior. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. We need to look at ourselves very closely, make sure everything's right. Otherwise, we're going to be held accountable. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. That chastisement when we get from the Lord now and then, that's a good thing. That little slap upside the head He gives us to get our attention sometimes, that's a good thing. We don't want to take that to the next realm. We don't want to take that to judgment. We want to get it taken care of now. So when he gives us that little attitude of judgment, because here he's speaking to the Christians, the Christians that have come to the Lord, the Christians that have come to partake in communion, that have an ongoing sin, that have an unconfessed sin, and they come to the Lord and participate in communion, carrying that unforgiven sin with them, then they also can be held accountable for that. That's what he's getting into here. Not just the hypocrites that come in and pretend to be a Christian, but the Christians, the so-called Christians that come in that are participating in a sin and haven't got it taken care of before they come to the Lord in Holy Sacrament, they better get it right. That's why we always take a, a moment to pray before having the communion process to be able to 
make sure you got it prayed up. And Lord, forgive me of everything. If there be anything I need to take care of, please let me know so I can get rid of that. And then you go throughout the communion process. Then you're doing it worthily. Verse 33. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that he come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So when you have communion, or a communion feast, as many churches, many people have done, make sure it is all done in a way to bring honor and glory to the Lord, not just a time to come in and have a good meal. All right, that's it. Let's go ahead and close. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many things you bless us with and the understanding of your word is such a blessing when you give that to us. Help us to really hold on to that and share that with others as well. Thank you oh so much for what you teach us each and every day. And we truly do thank you for those attitude adjustments that we need so we can all be on the right road, the straight and narrow, to bring honor and glory to you through everything that we say, everything that we do. Thank you again as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.